Recently, a coach in a well-known university in the South has been fired. The reason she was holding a Bible study with the athletes in her group after working hours, when one person objected, the coach was fired. Not so long ago, a Swedish pastor was put in prison. The reason? He preached against the sin of homosexuality, and that is considered crime. Not so long ago, an army general of the United States had to fight hard to keep his job. The reason? He spoke the truth one time and talked about how his Christian faith is a peaceful faith, and may other faith a violent faith. All of these are just samples of the intense increase of persecution, intimidation, and hatred toward the faithful servants of the living God. And I will make you a prediction, and I am no prophet nor a son of a prophet. In fact, I pray that I would be a false prophet in saying what I'm saying. That unless the Lord Jesus Christ somehow intervenes with the power of His Holy Spirit sweeping across the land with a revival, a Holy Spirit revival, not manufactured one, things are going to get worse. And the persecution is going to heat up. And the pressure and the intensity for believers to compromise is going to be like we have never seen in modern times or even in past times. And that is why the message to the church of Smyrna is a message of hope. It is a message of comfort. It's a message of assurance. It is a message of encouragement. It is a message of the resurrected Jesus Christ to all His faithful believers who are oppressed throughout generation. It is a message Indeed, that is given for us, most desperately needed today, but I can tell you it will be most desperately needed in the days to come. It is a message to high school students. It's a message to elementary school students. It's a message to government workers. It's a message to faithful preachers and teachers of the Word of God. It is a message for everyone. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. The words of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ to the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of Him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, and yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, and they are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not, will not, will not be hurt at all by the second death. Father, we bless you for your words of encouragement given to us in the Scripture. May we today be men and women, boys and girls of courage, and trust and love for the Lord Jesus Christ like never before. 
Even as the days get darker, we will shine brighter as your children in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. We saw in the last message, the first one of the seven, that the Apostle John was communicating to the seven churches of Asia Minor. The first church was the church in the city of Ephesus. We saw how that church was a church that upheld the truth. It was a church that believed the right doctrine. It was a church that taught sound biblical truth. And Jesus commended them for that. Jesus never said, well, that really didn't matter. No, 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 no. He said, that is of vital importance, and he praised them for that. But then he told them that there's one thing that they are lacking, and that is they have lost their first love for Jesus. They were serving Jesus. They were teaching Jesus. They were preaching Jesus. But the love for Jesus has grown cold. And so he comes to this second church, a church of Smyrna. One of only two churches in all the seven that you would never find a word of condemnation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a word of rebuke, not a word of correction. It was a church that loved the Lord Jesus Christ as well as loved the Word of God. It was a church that loved the Lord Jesus Christ as well as loving the truth. The believers in Smyrna were hated for their faithfulness to the Lord. And because they were hated, they were persecuted. And because they were persecuted, they tended to love the Lord Jesus Christ more. Isn't this something? These people loved the Lord, not because they needed Him, but because they loved Him for who He is. Now, the Smyrna is the modern city of Izmir in Turkey. And so, here's the church of Ephesus. And 35 miles north of Ephesus is the church of Smyrna. It was a busy city. It was a city of trade. But more than that, it was a beautiful city, physically beautiful. In fact, they called it all kinds of them. They called it the crown of Asia. They called it the flower of Asia. They called it the ornament of Asia. And it was founded by the Greeks in about 1000 B.C., And about 600 B.C., it was totally destroyed. It became desolate. But then, around the year 195 B.C., the Romans came and rebuilt the city, and they made it far more beautiful than before. Because the Romans rebuilt the city, the population of that city of Smyrna were felt beholden to the Roman Empire. They felt indebted to the Roman Empire. They, therefore, tried to become more Romans than the Romans. In fact, they were the only city to build a temple for the goddess Roma in order to show their gratitude to Rome. Not only a temple to Roma, these folks were building a temple for every cotton-picking god that they ever stumbled on. I mean, they're probably more than any other city in Asia Minor. They had more temples than anybody else. They built temples for for Zeus, for Sybil, for Apollo, for Nemesis, for uh, Epaphrodites. I mean, they just, every god they heard of, they built him a temple. They had temples everywhere. You say, Michael, why are you telling me all this? Are you trying to teach me some history lessons? No, I want you to listen very carefully. 
because that's where the relevance comes in to our day. These people who worshipped every god they've ever heard of, they worshipped every goddess they ever heard of, those same people were accusing the true believers in the one true God, the Christians, as atheists. That's what they called them. These people who were worshiping every God that they can lay hands on would accuse the Christians, the children of the living God, who were worshiping the one true God the way God asked them to worship as atheists. I mean, I want you to think with me, please. Use your mind here, okay? Just think with me. It's mind-blowing. And you say, well, how can they do this when they... Yeah, it's happening right now. It's happening right now. This is a very relevant message. You will understand, when you, when you understand this particular message to the church in Smyrna, you will understand that the devil never changes his tactics in 2,000 years. I don't think he's very smart. He just rewrites his essay. <laughs> he just redresses his falsehoods. It is the same thing that he did with the church of Smyrna. He's doing today in modern USA and the West in general. The people who were tolerant of every god and every goddess were calling the ones who are worshiping the one true God intolerant. Listen, this is a message of relevance for today, and it sounds very familiar to most of us. The very people who preach tolerance, tolerance of every crazy idea, of every morbid philosophy, and every inconceivable thought are the very people who shout accusations at the true believers of being intolerant, just like the devil did in Smyrna. They called them intolerant, they called them bigot, they called them out of the mainstream. I want you to f- just think with me and, and understand my frustration at times. Here, the most loving people on the face of the earth are called intolerant. The most caring people on the face of the earth are called bigots. The people who have built hospitals and schools and educated people in India, in the Middle East, all over Asia, all over Africa, the people who have taken the love of Christ to the end of the earth, they are called intolerant and bigots, just as the devil had those folks in the church, in the city of Smyrna, to call the believers atheists. Now, I hate to tell you this, but the devil who failed in the church of Smyrna and with the church of Smyrna 2,000 years ago is going to fail in the church of Jesus Christ today. He is the father of lies, and he's the father of confusion, and the reason he is creating confusion so that the masses get confused, and they don't know what the truth is, and they don't know what fiction is, they don't know what falsehood is, and they get totally confused. He is the God of lies, the Father of lies, and the God of confusion. But here's the good news. (laughs) I love to get going to the good news as fast as I can. Here's the good news. Here's the good news of what Jesus said to the faithful children of His in the church in the city of Smyrna. And here's what the risen Christ is saying to every faithful child of His in every city in the world today. Here's what He's saying. 
He's saying, I know. I know your affliction. I know that you're being falsely accused. I know that you're being misunderstood. I know the price that you are paying for your integrity. I know of the price that you're paying for your faithfulness. I, the resurrected Jesus Christ, know. I know what the devil is up to and using the Gentiles and the Jews alike in order to persecute you, in order to hate you, in order to put you in prison. I know. I know. It's very simple. The Lord knew what the devil is up to. And the devil was up to back then is what the devil is up to in your life and my life today. And that is to intimidate us. And that is to frighten us. That we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be hated. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. And therefore, if he managed to get us to the point of fear, he is managing to silence us about speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his strategy. It's his strategy was strategy then. It's his strategy now. It's very simple. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ says, do not fear. That is really the key point of the whole message here. There is nothing, there is nothing that the devil loves more than silencing the believer. Absolutely. There is nothing that he loves more than a believer whose mouth is shut about Jesus. If he can intimidate you into silence, he has succeeded. And that is why the risen Lord Jesus Christ says, don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated by him. Don't be silent because he is trying to frighten you. And that's why he begins by saying, I know. If he started by saying, fear not, you're going to have to struggle to really find the rest of the message. But he begins to say, I know. And then he goes in to say, fear not. He said, I am the first and the last. I am the one who was dead, but now I'm alive. Do not be afraid. You see, Jesus always gives you a reason why you don't be afraid. And he started by saying who he is, and then he said, don't be afraid. I want you to hear me right. There is nothing that can frighten away fear more than the fact of who Jesus is. That's what you and I forget all the time. (laughs) There is nothing that can banish fear out of your life like the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can replace fear with faith like knowing experientially, firsthand, the power of the resurrected Christ. There is nothing that will give you confidence in the midst of trouble, in the midst of hatred, and in the midst of persecution, and in the midst of difficulties like knowing the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so... The pagans came to the faithful believers and they said, Well, all you need to do, just burn incense to the image of Caesar. Nobody will know. Nobody will tell. And it's just going to be our secret. (laughs) The faithful believer says, No way. Well, look, we are very tolerant people here. We have all these gods. Just add Jesus to the list of your friends. (laughs) Add Jesus to the list of the gods. Nobody's going to ask any questions. And the believer said, no 
way. They said to them, you're going to lose your jobs. (laughs) You're going to become poor. You're going to be destitute. You will become alienated from society and culture. You will be considered a pariah in this part of the world. You may lose your life. And the faithful believers said what? Why? Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That is the first alphabet and the last, in case you did not know, in the Greek language. I am the first and the last. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I am the one who died but rose again. I have all power that the Father thrusted in my hand. I have power over your enemies. I have power over your foes. I have power over those who are hurting you. I have power over those who are persecuting you. I have power. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. So bring it on. Bring it on. And you notice there's a sense of disappointment and hurt. Even the Jews who are supposed to believe in Jehovah, one God, they were not polytheistic, worshiping many gods, they were worshiping Jehovah. Even they, in order to save their skin, in order to save their own lives, they cooperated with the pagans and handed over the believers to be persecuted. And that's why Jesus calls this particular synagogue, this particular group of Jews, and it's specific to them. Look at verse 9. He calls them, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews, but they are not. You know, have you ever asked yourself the question, why does the natural man hate the gospel so much? Whether that natural man belongs to a religion or no religion at all. It really makes no difference. In fact, they have a lot in common. I've, I've seen it. I've experienced it firsthand. Do you know why the natural man doesn't like the gospel? Well, I spent my life trying to figure this out. I really did. I've shared this with you some years ago, and I want to share it with you again. Four things. Why the natural man hates the gospel and therefore hates the children of the living God. Number one, The gospel exposes man's sin and guilt. And oh, they don't want that to be happening. (laughs) The gospel reveals the judgment and the wrath of God that is coming upon sin. And they don't want to be reminded of that. The gospel announces that man can never, never, never save himself. And all the pride rejects that. Number four. The gospel announces that only through the cross of Calvary can one be saved and receive the gift, the gift, the gift, the free gift of eternal life. But their arrogance can tolerate that. And that is why they reject not only the gospel, but those who believe it. And beloved, I want to tell you something. Here's what aches in my heart. So many modern-day preachers and teachers out of fear of rejections, they are watering down the gospel message. They are watering it down. They're softening it. And they call it all kinds of other names. But all goes back to fear of rejection. I want to tell you something. Whether I live 50 more years or 50 more days or 50 more months, I don't care. I'm going to see Jesus one of these days, and I'd rather be accepted by Him than by society. Amen belongs here. (laughs) 
Satan failed in Smyrna 2,000 years ago, and he will fail with the faithful believers today. I want you to hear me right. Here's what the risen Christ wants everyone, all of his faithful children to know. I don't make up the stuff. If it's not in the book, you're going to hear it from me. If it's an opinion, I'm going to tell you, and you can take it for what's worth. But here's what the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ, wants all his faithful children who are facing trouble to know. Here's what the risen Christ wants all who are victims of fear and intimidation to know. Here's what the Lord Jesus Christ wants all his timid children to understand and to comprehend and to receive three things, basically, in this letter. Three things. Number one, that he has all power. Secondly, that he knows all things. And thirdly, that his purpose is working out in the midst of difficulties. He has all power. I am the first and the end and the last. I was before anything was created and any man was created, and I'm going to be there when everything is destroyed. (laughs) I am the one who no one ever came before him and no one will be after him. I am the one who has created it all and I control it all. I died and they thought it's over. But in the third days I surprised them all and rose from the dead. I have defeated Satan and death. I have defeated your most powerful enemy. I have defeated your most powerful foe. I have defeated death. Therefore, just trust me. I'll bring you through your pain. I'll bring you through your difficulties. I'll bring you through your agonies. I will bring you through past your enemy's attack. I'll bring you past your false accusers' attack. I'll bring you past your temporary defeats, your temporary suffering. Not that he has, he has all power in his hand, given to him by the Father. And by the way, if you read the book of Isaiah, I am the Alpha and the Omega, is a description of God the Father. And that is why Jesus was emphasizing this, that now the Father handed Jesus the same description that is said of him, that he now became the Alpha and the Omega. He is, has all authority under his control. Secondly, he knows all things. He not only knows intellectually, he knows experientially all things. The Bible said that like us, he has been tempted in every way, but never sinned. Never sinned. He says, I know your afflictions. I know your pain for my sake, but I'm walking with you in the middle of it. I'm holding your hand right in the middle of your pain. I don't only understand your afflictions, but I'm holding you in the very palms of my hands in the middle of your afflictions. I understand your afflictions because I have experienced more afflictions than you will ever experience in ten lifetimes. And I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Your suffering may be causing you financial reversal, but look what Jesus said about that. He said, remember, I don't judge you on the basis of the statement of your net worth. (laughs) Other people do that. Because he said, they call you poor, but I call you rich. (laughs) Isn't that great? People may call you poor, but because he 
controls everything because He, over all things, He calls you rich. Because He is the one of Him was said that He was rich and for your sake became poor so that He may make you rich. Not only that He has all power, not only that He knows all things, thirdly, He has a purpose in everything in your life for His faithful children, for those who love Him, and those are called by His name. You see, the devil tempts us for one reason, and his reason is to destroy us. In his mind, you know, he lies so much, he deceived himself so much, that he thinks he can really destroy us. <laughs> he really does. And that's how he te- why they tempt us. But the Lord Jesus Christ turns it around and turns it into a test in order to prove us and bless us. Look at verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution, but it's only for a period of time, 10 days. You see, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is saying that what Satan means for evil in your life, he turns it around and means it for good. What Satan tries to use in order to destroy you and destroy your family, God, the resurrected Christ, will turn it around to use it to bless you. What the devil delights in working and designing to destroy you, God turns it around and use it to your favor. Because Jesus promised, when he walked this earth... He promised in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, I give them eternal life, and they shall never, never, never perish. Really, if you look at it in the original language, no, not never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You got the Father and the Son, and you are in a clasp of their hands. Do you want to banish fear out of your life? Memorize John 6, 39. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me, but raise them up in the last day. All of their intimidation, all of their false accusations, all of their persecution, all of their harassments, all of their lies will mount to naught and are doomed to failure. Doomed to failure. When you put your trust in Him, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who died but rose again, when you put your trust in Him. There's a common story, a well-known story, historical story about the church in Smyrna. Some of you probably heard this before. But it bears repeating simply because it tells you something about those believers in Smyrna. It tells you something about their tenacity. It tells you something about their strength. It tells you something about their love for Jesus Christ. And this particular story took place 50 years, 50 years after this message of the Lord Jesus Christ was delivered to the pastor of the church in Smyrna. The church had a successor. And history tells us that this pastor of the church in Smyrna 
was ordained and set aside for ministry by the Apostle John himself of the book of Revelation. And that man's name was Polycarp. Polycarp. Polycarp was the pastor of the church in Smyrna. But in the month of February of the year 156 A.D., at the urging of his congregation, knowing that he could be killed any moment, they pleaded with him to leave the city. He wouldn't do it. They came back. The whole congregation began to plead with him. Please leave the city. And so he did. But then the police tracked him down. And they found him. And he refused to flee. Instead, he held a feast for his captors. He made food for them. And he began to feed them. He said, all I ask for you is to give me two hours to pray. And so, while they're eating, feeding their faces, he goes in there and he prays to the Lord Jesus. And after he prays, he comes back and he says, I'm ready. The commanding officer began to plead with him. He's such a kind man. He's such a gentle man. You're a generous man. Please, Just swear by the genius of Caesar, and I'll let you go. Please just revile Christ just once so that I witness that you have reviled Christ, and I'll release you, and I'll set you free right now. To which Polycarp spoke these famous words. Let me tell you, those words have encouraged believers for over 850 years. That is 1,850 years Here's what he said. For 86 years, I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul said, I'm going to send wild beasts to tear you to shreds. He said, call the beasts. He said, I will burn you. In a fire, he would not recant. And finally, both Jews and Gentiles went out and began to pile the wood in the middle of the city. And Polycarp only asked for one thing. He said, don't fasten me to the stake. I will not run. I will not escape. And so he stood freely as they let the fire But even then, a wind blew the fire away from Polycarp. And finally, the soldiers went in with their swords and finished him off. Beloved, I want to ask you a question. How much we think of Jesus? How much Jesus means to you? How much Jesus means to you? How much Jesus means to me? Lord, I pray that that question will haunt us in our vocation and avocation, in our coming and our going, when we face difficulties and when we face silly inconveniences in life and think of them as difficulties. Father God, when we focus on our wants, when we are tempted to take our eyes off the prize, help us to answer the question, what does Jesus mean to me? Only you can do that supernaturally. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.